Nothing, just cleaning up a little. Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to all of you at all of our churches today because we are starting a brand new series entitled The Bible for Grownups, and uh, it's a pretty important conversation over these next four weeks because we're really going to talk about why the Bible really matters and uh, just kind of give us all a, a better perspective of God's Word and, and how to build our lives upon it. Now, before we get in, uh, started in today's conversation, um, some of you, you have asked about giving to the victims in Ukraine uh, because for many of you, you've watched the process that have happened. So if you want to go to our website or our app, uh, there's a link there. I will be sending a check this next week to Convoy of Hope. So if you want to help uh, contribute to that, that will be great. They're already on the ground providing resources and uh, help there and uh, just a great partner on, on the um, front line. So uh, we will be sending out money this next week to Convoy of Hope. So feel free to contribute to that as well. And I just want to say thank you in advance for being a church that is absolutely for those, not only in our communities, but for people around the world, people in crisis. And, and I just want to say... Um, you know, um, it's just kind of heartbreaking to watch what people are going through there. And uh, so I just want to challenge you to really be praying um, for all the people who are being displaced because of just this crime that is absolutely moral crime against uh, the Ukrainian people. Um, so uh, I know several people from that area. In fact, we have a, have a young man on our Mariana campus who was in med school in the Ukraine. Uh, he's originally from Nigeria. He's here now because he's got some family in Mariana. And he, I mean, think about it. You're three years into med school. All of a sudden, your world gets flipped upside down and um, figuring out what the next steps are going to be. So it, it really hits all of us closer to home because the world's not as big as it used to be because of connections, right? So um, let's just have a word of prayer. Can we do that? God, I thank you that um, we can come to you because we know that you're sovereign, you're in control. Um, we, we know that you know what's going on. But God, sometimes we just want to have a conversation with you saying, God, our hearts hurt and our hearts break for people. And we want to be your hands and feet and helping to relieve some of that pain and, and difficulty in their lives. But God, most of all, um, we're just saying, God, use your church throughout the world 
Use your people throughout the world um, to show your love and your care for um, a nation of people who are being displaced and just such a moral crime being committed against them. So I, I just ask that through the whole process, God, that you will show up through your body and help us to be part of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, again, thank you so much as a church for what you're helping to do in this process. Now, as I said today, um, we are starting this brand new sermon series entitled The Bible for Grownups. And honestly, I'm really excited to share this series with you because my prayer for you is that every one of you will learn to love and appreciate the Bible like that you have never appreciated it before and understand the importance of it. Now, here's why we think this series is so important to talk about in this season. See, some of you, you know some of the stories from the Bible, right? But the reality is you don't know the story of the Bible. You don't know how we got the Bible. And here's the thing, this story, the story of how we got the Bible, it is crucial to know, and here's why. If you don't understand how we got the Bible, you'll misunderstand what's in the Bible. In other words, your interpretation, your application, it's gonna be completely um, just out of whack. It's, it's not gonna take you down the right path and be the most beneficial for you. And the other thing that you need to understand is this, if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to miss the, dismiss the stories in the Bible. And for some of you, that's the reason why you walked away from faith or you're considered walking away from faith. Like nobody ever explained to you the backstory of how the Bible came to be. So you reached a point where you felt, okay, well, I don't know if I really believe this story. I don't know if I really believe this story. So you felt comfortable enough dismissing the stories in the Bible. And eventually you don't really even believe the Bible anymore if you continue to go down that path. So the problem is the way we got our Bibles, the way we have them today is not the way that we got the Bible as we know it today. In fact, I remember when I got my first Bible, what I would call my grown-up Bible. My parents gave it to me on my 12th birthday. And you know, it, covered, it came covered in genuine leather like this. It, it wasn't quite as big as this Bible. And it also had my name printed in gold leaf on the front, right? Some of you were given a Bible like that. That was like your first grown-up Bible. And just kind of curious, anybody else on any of our churches get a Bible with their name on the front? I mean, yeah, a lot of us did, right? But here's the thing. Don't feel bad if you didn't. You didn't miss out on anything in the Bible, but not having your name on the Bible, okay? Um, now, here's the thing. When you were handed that first Bible, right, there were maps in the back and there were notes in the back and there was this glossary and then there were each one of these sections in the Bible. It had all of these titles that went with them. And so you were handed a Bible that was chaptered and versed. It was mapped and it was wrapped, as we've often heard it said. And, and then we were told, hey, this is God's holy word. It's true. So you should live by it. And most of all, don't set anything on it because it's holy. Remember that? Now, now here's why I bring this up. Most of us did not grow up respecting the Bible because we had actually never read the Bible. In fact, a lot of us, what we did is we grew up respecting the Bible because we were told to respect the Bible. But nobody told us why we should really respect it because nobody told us how the Bible came to be. So for most of us, the Bible was basically presented as one big book that we should believe because we were told as children that we should believe it. Now, 
The other problem with this is if you haven't read all of the Bible, here's what happens. You, you just know like a few Sunday school stories and, and then somebody comes along and they point out what else the Bible says that you've never read that you didn't know about and they point out parts of the Bible that nobody talked about in Sunday school and so you have no idea to what to do with those controversies that they bring up in the Bible and maybe you went to your parent or you went to a pastor or you went to a priest and you got some unsatisfying answers to your question and that really left you in your mind only one or two options for you to take. And one is you could just turn away from your questions and you could ignore your questions or you could just walk away from faith and the word of God. And I would just like to suggest that neither one of those are a good option, nor are they necessary. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about the backstory of how we got the Bible. Now, to get us started, we're gonna talk about the event that was the foundation for our faith and the catalyst for the Bible. Now, here's the thing that may surprise you as we begin this conversation. Let me just go ahead and say, there's gonna be some tensions at the end of each conversation each week because we're not going to be able to zip it all up in one week, right? So you got to keep coming back to get the next part of the story. But you may be surprised to learn this. The story of the Bible doesn't begin in the beginning of the Bible. The story of how we got the Bible as we have it today, it ha actually happens much later than the beginning of the Bible. The Bible, if you really stop and think about it, it wasn't even a thought in people's mind until an event in the early first century created this flurry of activity that led to what eventually became known as the Bible as we have it today. But you gotta remember this. Even in the first century, when the church was being launched, I mean, people really never envisioned creating the Bible. This wasn't their goal. This wasn't on their radar. It was just an after effect of something that happened, as we're going to see today, that was the, the foundation for our faith and the catalyst for the Bible. So today, let's go back to the beginning of how we got the Bible that we have today. And to begin our backstory, and this is gonna surprise some of you where we start, we're gonna start with a first century doctor by the name of Luke. Now, like all good medical doctors, Luke was a fact-driven, not a science, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't have said that. Anyhow, Luke was a, he was a fact-driven, detail-oriented kind of guy who chose to investigate the facts right? And then he says, I'm going to investigate all the facts, and then I'm going to write a thorough account of the events surrounding Jesus' life for a friend of mine, and his friend's name was Theophilus. Now, who in the world is Theophilus? Well, Theophilus was probably this wealthy, high-ranking government official who had had enough eyewitness accounts and heard enough about Jesus' story, personal eyewitness from himself, and then heard enough stories that he decided to become a follower of Jesus. And so he wanted to put all the pieces together and kind of get this comprehensive account of Jesus' life. So Luke, he starts the process of compelling an orderly account of Jesus' life. 
And we know this orderly account that Luke wrote for his friend Theophilus, which I'm sure probably Theophilus hired Luke to do this or, or gave him some kind of compensation because this took a lot of time and effort, energy. We now know this as the gospel of Luke. But you have to understand, it wasn't called that back when Luke wrote this for his friend Theophilus. In fact, don't miss this. When Luke wrote his account of the life of Jesus, it was just a document that Luke wrote for Theophilus. It was just an account of Jesus' life based upon the eyewitnesses that Luke had interviewed. So I want you to notice how Luke begins his document that he writes for Theophilus. We're gonna put the words on the screen here. Notice what he says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the, of the things that have been fulfilled among us. We're going to come back to this many in just a moment. But he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke starts out by saying this document that he's writing, it is designed to detail all the things that did what? That happened or were fulfilled among us. But he's saying, I'm not the only one writing them down. He says, many other people have undertaken to write documents about the life of Jesus. Now, here's what you need to know. It was very unusual in ancient times for multiple people to write accounts of the same event or about the same person. In fact, whenever you look at ancient history, you rarely find multiple accounts of the same event or the same person because it was so expensive to document something. So having multiple accounts of the events surrounding Jesus' life, it is a very, very rare thing in history. But something else that's really important to note is that Luke indicates that his account of Jesus' life was based upon his own investigation. He didn't just take other people's word for it. So he wanted to verify that it was true, and then he wrote down what he discovered. In fact, notice what he says in verse three of this. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why did he do that? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, I don't want you to miss this. When Luke was writing this account, this orderly account as he called it, he wasn't writing at that moment in time. He had no idea that he was writing what we now know as the Bible. Luke had no idea that the Bible as we have it today would ever exist. Luke could not possibly imagine that one day that his document that he was writing for Theophilus would end up in something called the Bible and then us be reading this 2,000 years later. Now, Luke was just simply writing account to help Theophilus and other first century people, notice what he says, know with certainty of the things that you have been taught. Literally, he says, know with certainty what happened to and with Jesus. So that brings us to this question. Why did Luke want to write an account of Jesus' life in the first place? 
Like what, what would prompt a first century Greek doctor to make the effort to investigate and research and then record this orderly account of a single Jewish man's life? Well, Luke, he tells us near the end of his account of why he wrote this account of Jesus' life. And he tells us the reason he did was because an event in the life of Jesus that was so unbelievable, yet so undeniable. In fact, at the end of his account, he explains for us something about this event. He explains for us the death of Jesus, and he explains how that when Jesus died, all of his followers, they lost hope in Jesus. Because after all, I mean, think about it. Jesus had claimed to be God in human flesh, but God can't be crucified on a Roman cross. So don't miss this. When Jesus died, there was no story. When Jesus died on the cross, there was no need for an account of Jesus' life. All there was when Jesus died were some followers who suddenly stopped following Jesus and abandoned him except for a few women and two men who had enough compassion to take his body off the cross and put his body in a tomb, a borrowed tomb at that. So both of these men, they were very well known at the time. In fact, Luke tells us if you read his account of Jesus' life, their names were Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I'm sure they were members of the Sanhedrin, the most powerful Jew ruling, uh, Jewish ruling body at that time. In fact, I want you to notice how Luke records what happened. Here's what he says. Then he, referring to Joseph of Arimathea, he took it down, referring to Jesus, his body, wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which one, no one had yet been laid. So why did they do this? Why did Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus do this? Why? Because Jesus was dead. And this is what you do when somebody is dead. You put their body in a tomb until their body decays, and then you come back later once the body decays, and you collect all the bones, and you place them in a box known as an ossuary. And so that was the proper procedure if somebody died. I want you to notice what Luke goes on to write in the next verse, verse 55. He said, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. Again, why did they do this? Because that's how you treat a dead body. Now, the reason this is so important in Luke's account is because at this moment in time, at this moment in time, there were no Jesus followers. There were no things people called Christians. Nobody was still believing that Jesus was who he said he was. There was no church. Nope. From everybody's perspective, if you really stop and think about it, Jesus has been crushed at this point between the power of the Roman Empire on one side and the power of the Jewish temple on the other side who both had come against him. And if the story ended here, you need to understand this. If the story ended with Jesus being placed in a tomb, there would be no Bible as we have it today. In fact, Luke, he would have never felt 
like he should have written this document that we now know as the gospel of Luke. It would have never existed if the story of Jesus had ended in a tomb. In other words, you could say it this way. Luke documented the life of Jesus because the story of Jesus didn't end on a Roman cross. See, what started the story of the Bible, what prompted and inspired people to write these accounts that we now have in what we know as the New Testament Gospels, that ended up now in what we now call the Bible was the resurrection of Jesus. See, that's what starts the story of the Bible. If you miss everything else today and you check out during any of the rest of the talk, don't miss this. The catalyst for the Bible was the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, it is the foundation of our faith and it was the catalyst for the Bible. See, the thing that inspired people to write the accounts in the letters that make up the New Testament and even what is included of the Jewish scripture and what is now is the Old Testament, it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection is the foundation for our faith and is the catalyst for the Bible. So what started the story of the Bible was all these people, they saw Jesus die and then they saw him alive again. And it wasn't just one or two or three people or a dozen people. No, over 500 people, they saw Jesus alive with their own eyes at different times over a period of several weeks. And then suddenly, all the people who had unfollowed Jesus when he was on the cross and was placed in a tomb, they refollowed Jesus and they believed again. And as a result of that, not only did Luke write his account, of Jesus' life. Remember, he wrote his account would have been written after the resurrection of Jesus, about 20 years after that, and what we now call the Gospel of Luke. But he went on to write some other documents that happened after the resurrection for about the next 30 years in the account of the book that we now call the book of Acts. So he writes about how these followers in the book of Acts, he writes about how these followers of Jesus who had given up on following Jesus because of his death, but because of Jesus' resurrection, they faced down the very people who had Jesus crucified in spite of the persecution and the threats that they faced because they would not deny that they had seen Jesus alive after he died. They wouldn't deny it. So it's very fascinating because Luke, he knew, he knew all these people that were involved. He knew some of the key leaders like Peter and John and James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he knew and he traveled with the Apostle Paul. In fact, he even documented some of the Apostle Paul's different experiences in this book that we now are this letter or document called Acts. So he saw the rise of the Gentile church and he saw how the Gentiles begin to follow Jesus. But here's the thing I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to miss this. Luke admitted from the beginning that he was not writing his document as an exclusive account of Jesus' life. He wasn't the only one that was recording that. Remember what he said? He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And the question that we need to think about is, why so many accounts of Jesus' life? After all, remember I said it was expensive and it was unprecedented at that time to document things so many times. So why so many accounts? I would suggest it can only be explained by this. 
something extraordinary had happened. Not, not something was written. Don't miss this. What was written and what we now know as the New Testament, this part of the Bible here, what we now know as the New Testament, it would have never existed if something had not happened. And this Jewish scripture that has been included now as the Old Testament, as we're gonna see over the next couple of weeks, it would have never been included in what we now know as the Bible if something had not happened that was extraordinary. And that something was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so these people, they wanted to sit down because something extraordinary happened and they wanted to dictate what they saw before they were killed or before they were in prison because something extraordinary had happened and they felt like everybody needed to know. So the resurrection is the foundation for our faith and is a catalyst for the Bible. In fact, let me give you a couple other instances. One of those would be Peter. Peter, he sat down and he dictated his account of what he saw and experienced with Jesus and his experience with Jesus to a man by the name of Mark. And when you read Mark's document, you know it as the gospel of Mark. It is very short, it's very fact-based, and it's very action-oriented, and it's very to the point, just like you would expect Peter to tell it, right? So when you read Mark now, you'll read it with a whole nother mindset, Right? And Mark is no mysterious figure to us. In fact, he traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was friends of Luke. And then Peter dictated his account to him in 50, somewhere in the 50 AD uh, era. And so that was about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. You gotta understand, Mark would have never recorded his, this account from Peter if it had not been for the resurrection of Jesus. Or, or let me give you another one, and that's Matthew. See, Matthew was another person who recorded the events of Jesus' life. You now know that as the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew wrote his account specifically for first century Jews, and he connected all the dots for them between the prophecies of the Messiah in the Jewish Scripture and what Jesus did. And here's the thing you have to understand. Matthew would have never written his account if it were not for the resurrection of Jesus. And then there's the account that was written by John. Now, when John was older, he wrote his account. It was the last written or account written, but near the end of his life, I'm sure John is starting to realize, hey, I've got to put down all these things that I've seen, that I've heard, I need to record them, to which some of you might say, well, why? There was already three other accounts. There were already other accounts. Why would John need to write one? Well, John tells us toward the end of his document why he wrote his account, and this is very fascinating. Notice what he says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Now, when he talks about in the presence of his disciples, he's not just talking about the 12, but the hundreds who followed him. And then he goes on, which are not recorded in this book. And most of us, when we read this and we quickly read over it, and he talks about which are not recorded in this book, it really is not referring to the Bible as we know it, he's referring to this section that we now know as the Gospel of John. He said there are many other things that was recorded that are not recorded in this document that he wrote. So he says, I don't have the time, I don't have the space, I don't have the money to write all the things that we saw Jesus do. So I, in this little document I wrote, I've just given you the highlights of his life 
And then here's why I've went through the trouble to record it. Notice what he says next. But these are written that you may believe. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did John believe? Why did the other disciples believe? They believed because Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was the catalyst for them to want to record what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Now, here's the thing. When John writes this, he says, I'm writing, these are written that you may believe. And what he's referring to is to anyone who would read his account. And he had no idea who all that would include. He could not imagine that we one day would be reading his account because he knew nothing about his little document being in this thing that we now call the Bible. But he writes it for everyone who might come across it. So he's talking in a lot of ways to you and me. He says, I wrote this so that you may believe. And the question is that we would believe what, John? What, what do you want us to believe? Well, now before I answer that, let me just say this. Some of you are at a place in your faith where you may be saying, I'm having a hard time believing. In fact, some of you, you may have walked away and someone said, hey, just go to church with me this one time. Or, or maybe some of you just kind of walked away from your faith. You stopped believing. And, and you might even be at the place, well, it's good for other people. It's not really good for me. I don't really think I believe anymore. But here's the question that you need to think about. What did John want you to believe? What did John want you to think about? Here it is, I think. What is the it that you don't believe anymore? What, what is the it? When you say, I don't believe it anymore, what is that? Do you know the answer to that? See, here's the thing. John, the guy who spent time with Jesus and claimed to see a resurrected Savior with his own eyes, John says, here's the thing, the only it that matters, the only it that you need to believe. Notice what he says. He says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrected Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says, the only it that matters is this. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did for you what he said he did? And that is that he rose from the dead. So John says, I'm writing this because I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I experienced him myself. And so I'm giving you this eyewitness account so that you may believe with confidence. And he says, and if you believe this, that Jesus rose from the dead, then that's the only it that you need to believe. You don't need to have all the other questions answered yet until you figure that one out. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And you know what? It's interesting. So many people started reading John's little document and other people began to read Luke's document. And at the end of the first century, there was no the Bible, but there were thousands of Jesus followers and these first century followers are these first Christ followers. I mean, they, they started having more and more copies of these documents that we now know as the gospels that make up this little portion of, of, of our Bibles. If you look at it, it's just a small portion of our Bibles. And these people, they considered these eyewitness accounts to be so valuable and they treasured them and they protected them and they guarded them with their lives. See, from the very beginning, long before the Bible was formed as we know it, 
These documents that these eyewitness account wrote, they were considered to be valuable and reliable. They were also considered to be sacred and inspired. And they were respected as scripture. So don't miss this. The Roman Empire, because of this movement of Jesus, of them saying that Jesus was God in human flesh, that he died, he rose again, they became very suspicious of Christians, not because of what Christians believed, but because of what Christians didn't believe. See, Rome, Rome didn't care if you believed in a God because they believed in a lot of gods. Rome had a problem when you claim that your God was the only God and there weren't multiple gods. See, Rome had a problem when you wouldn't declare that Caesar is Lord because you only believe that Jesus is Lord. See, because you believe that he lived, he died, and he rose again. And so the Romans were very suspicious. So whenever something bad happened, they assumed that their gods had been angered by someone. And guess who the easy target was when these things happened? Well, these Christians who were disrespecting the Roman gods, it's their fault. That was their mind. So every time something bad happened, they blamed the Christians, and then they started persecuting them. And this culminated in 303 when the emperor Diocletian... He initiated the worst persecution of Christians in Roman history. And he declared that all places of Christian worship must be destroyed and all assembly by Christians was illegal. In fact, it was a brutal time. Hundreds of Christians risked their life, thousands of Christians risked and lost their lives, protecting not the Bible as we have it today, but the copies of these documents that were written by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and James and the Apostle Paul. And the only reason that we have these documents in what we now call the Bible today is because they believe so strongly in the validity of Scripture and the reliability of these counts of what happened when Jesus was on this earth, including his death and his unexplainable but undeniable resurrection, that we have the Bible today because Jesus lived, died, and rose again. They were willing to give their lives for it. Because they saw with their own eyes a risen Savior. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the foundation of our faith and it is the catalyst for the Bible. And I'm going to say something that is going to mess some of you up. But that's what this series is supposed to be. The Bible is not the foundation of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. The Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, if Christ had not risen from the dead, then everything we do would be in vain. See, that's why when people push back at you about the Bible, the things, certain things that you can't explain in the Bible, and they go, how can you have faith in the Bible? Your thing is, my faith is not in the Bible. My faith is in the resurrect, resurrected Savior. That's our faith. And our resurrected Savior is the catalyst for why we have the Bible. So for many of you, you go, well, how do I begin to apply this? Now, we're going to have a lot more conversations about what I just said going forward in the next couple of weeks. Now, some of you are going, so what, my what would my next step be? What, what I need to do with this, like this week to make this applicable? Well, I think for some of you, you, you should take what we now know as the Bible, what you have as the Bible, and read some of these documents based upon the resurrection of Jesus. See, 
I, I think it would be really cool for many of you to go in and just read John's account this month. Not because it's in the Bible anymore. Don't, don't read it just because it's in the Bible. But because John wrote it so that you could believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did with certainty. And you would know that. And read it as a personal document, just like John wrote it for first century followers. I mean, don't you think it would be worth your time to give some time to seeing why people believed that it was so important to have these documents that they would give their lives to preserve and protect these documents? In fact, I think this is a great time to be reading like the Gospel of John. I mean, think about it this way. We're only six weeks away from Easter. I would encourage you between now and Easter to read all of the Gospels. Because see, here's the thing. As you read the stories of the Gospels now from a different perspective of understanding, these people wrote this because of an event that happened and it changed their lives and it's changed our lives. And they wanted you to believe and to know with certainty. I think it could lead to one of the greatest Easter celebrations that you've ever experienced in your whole life. I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John. I'd encourage you to read all the Gospels because here's the thing, if the story of the resurrection did not happen, this Bible that we have today would not exist. So open up John's account today and start reading because there is so much more than what you were just told as a child. In fact, when you came in, there was a bookmark that was on your seat and it basically is a 21-day reading plan for you to read the Gospel of John. It's just there to remind you, not that you couldn't pick one each day. It's not that complicated, but it's just there to put in front of you to remind you to read one of the chapters of John each day. And then I would encourage you to go to the U version. We've put a link down at the bottom and do the devotional that goes with the Gospel of John that's on the U version app. I'm telling you, it will make your experience of understanding Jesus, resurrection, Jesus, our Lord and Savior as the foundation of our faith. It'll make it so much richer. And here's the thing. When you understand that Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of our faith, then you begin to understand what a gift the word of God is to us and you begin to love it and appreciate it so much more. And, that, and that's my whole goal for you is that you'll grow to love and appreciate God's word in just a very, very personal and powerful way. So there's so much more to the backstory of the Bible and what it means for you. And then here's the thing. Next week, we're gonna pick up with part two of the Bible for grownups. But because we feel like this is so important, on April the 2nd, we're gonna do a three-hour workshop at all of our campuses. It's part of our Theopraxis series and it's called Context. And what I'm gonna do in that three hour, of course, we're gonna have some breaks in there. I'm gonna give you a survey of the Bible. For these four weeks, we're gonna talk about how we got the Bible. And then for that three hour um, session on a Saturday morning, I'm gonna do a survey of the Bible so that you can walk away and have a true grasp of God's word so that whenever you open the Bible and you're looking in the Old Testament or you're looking in the Gospels or you're looking in the epistles or you're looking in some of the letters of prophecy, you will have better context so you'll have better understanding and therefore better application and interpretation of God's word. So there's a card on your seat and there's a QR code on the back that you can scan. It'll take you to a link and you can register to let us know that you're gonna be a part of it. So I, I just really pray that over these next few weeks, you'll go on this journey with us because I'm so excited 
started because I just feel like that you're gonna fall more in love with Jesus as you understand the story of how we got the Bible and then you understand how it all came together. I think you're gonna appreciate how much God loves us to give us his word in, in, a, in so many documents combined in one book that we now call the Bible. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity just to understand how much you loved us. You loved us so much that you came to this earth, you lived, you died, you rose again, and then you used men and women to preserve and protect documents, accounts of Jesus' life, the most important being the resurrection of Jesus, so that we can know with certainty the things that we've been taught. So there's no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, the risen son of God. And I just pray that God, through this conversation of these next four weeks, that man, our foundation, our faith will grow stronger. Our, our love for you will get deeper and richer, but our appreciation and our value of your word will grow as well to the point that we'll engage with it and we'll have context so that when we open up and we read it, we have some context for what we're reading and, and why it matters to us. So God, I just thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that, that leads us into all truth. And so God, I'm, I'm thanking you in advance for how you're gonna grow us in your likeness, how you're gonna transform us and how you're gonna be shaping us to be your body in this world at a whole nother level because of our study together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Don't forget, if you wanna to give to um, the Ukraine Fund, you can go to our app or our website. We'll see you next Sunday.